Welcome, guys, to the Cup of Nurses podcast with your hosts, Matt Slarchik and Peter Fendero. What's up, guys? How are you doing today, Petey? I'm doing good. Got off work, recording this episode, you know, hanging out. Just hanging out with the boys. Um, those that are listening, thank you. Um, thank you for subscribing. Thank you for checking us out. Follow us on social media and give us and this podcast, if it helped you in any way, five stars. With, um, with everything we're trying to do, it grows our podcast. It gives us better ranking, better search results, just so other people like you can see and so we could keep producing high-quality content. And if it's not five stars, if you think it's one or two, just save it. Put it in your pocket. We don't need to see that. Hey, guys. Just keep doing what you're doing. We hit 20K downloads. So thank you for that. Hope you guys enjoyed the episode as much as we like making them. They do enjoy it. So what are we going to talk about today, PD? All right, guys. Well, on today's episode, we're going to talk about this new Silicon Valley trend called dopamine fasting. And we're also going to answer a, a few questions. We actually looked up some nursing questions on Reddit and, you know, we brought them here for you guys. So I'm sure if people on Reddit are asking these questions, I'm sure you guys have similar questions as well. Yeah, there's some, there's some funny, interesting questions there. And some are good and educational. So let's talk about this dopamine fasting. And it's, it's interesting how Silicon Valley starts all these fads and trends but basically, they believe that we're very stimulated on dopamine and we're kind of running on constant reward system. And what can entitle like a dopamine reward is anything from sex, food, social media, video games, gambling, anything that is giving you a rush of happiness, which is technically maybe producing bad habits. So yeah, that's, that's exactly correct. So like Matt said, you know, dopamine is your feel-good chemical when you do certain things you know you release dopamine and you become happy for them for the most part it's similar to like fasting when you're eating like you're, you're when you fast during like like a food fast where you kind of cleanse your body you kind of go back to baseline to the norm that's similar to how this dopamine fasting is, is supposed to work i mean this is like a new trend coming up so there's not very much research to back up these these claims but some people are doing it. I guess some pop people are doing it. I'm not sure what famous people are doing it, but it's just a way to kind of cleanse your mind and kind of reset you back back to to baseline. Just because there's so much stimulus going on in the world, where you're always looking at your phone, you're always doing something, where you get so much dopamine released so often, where you kind of build a tolerance to it. And this fasting allows you to bring that tolerance down, just like caffeine. When you drink a lot of caffeine, you get a tolerance to caffeine, and you need more of it to get the same effect. Yeah, so th this is definitely not scientifically proven, but I personally believe that it works if I were to give an opinion on it. Because, you know, me practicing intermittent fasting, when you first start, you're just like, a lot of people ask me too, how do you go 16 hours without eating? Because so many people are overpowered by that feeling of hunger. It li literally creates like, it makes you hangry, right? That's the term that we use. And being able to dopamine fast, it's it going to feel uncomfortable. But when you stop yourself from the dopamine um, rushes, technically, right, we talked about neuroplasticity, you're able to reprogram those neural hardwirings, and maybe you won't be as you won't you won't be needing that rush as much. Yeah, that's, that's completely right. And so like the certain behaviors that people are, are kind of fasting on, it's not like a full extreme fast where you have to completely not do anything that makes you happy. You don't have to abstain from tv from reading from going on your phone if you can do like one thing a lot of times people do something that they find that 
cause it's like a behavior that's problematic. So let's say you play a lot of, play a lot of video games and it's interfering with your days. So you would do like a video game fast to, you know, bring a dopamine rush down from when you play video games. Because if you play video games for a long time, they don't become as enjoyable as they do from the beginning when you start a new game. So this kind of, you know, brings them down. Same with like, like junk food as well. That also provides dopamine. So you could fast in that sense as well. But dopamine allows you to kind of be more in tune with yourself. Not just, you know, it's not really just like a, neurochemical reset it's kind of a way to become more in tune with yourself because if you dopamine fast you don't have as much stimulus going on so you're kind of left with your own thoughts it's very similar to meditation so this is basically people dopamine fast and what they do instead of instead of doing these very stimulus activities like video games or you know social media or food they you know they meditate and that's actually dopamine fast as well yeah that's an that's um that's a good way to put it. It kind of balances your mind and your kind of mental health. Do you feel like you have recently something that you should probably dopamine fast from? Um, from work. I need dopamine fast from work. I need some more days off. No, I don't. Nothing really, really specific, but um, nothing's really problematic for me right now. But I could probably meditate a little bit more. I mean, I'm don't feel like I'm overstimulated. Like I definitely go for like a caffeine break, and I eat pretty healthy, so. I mean, maybe I would probably say maybe just meditate a little bit more and not necessarily dopamine fast, even though that is kind of a dopamine fast. Yeah, so you feel you feel very stimulated. I think um, caffeine is probably one of them. I recently started doing it at work where I only have one cup when I get to work and the rest of the night I try to not have any caffeine. If so, have some green tea. Like two days ago at work, for example, I told myself I'm going to do this, but I was like at work. I had to float twice, meaning I went to like med search back to the ICU for some odd reason. That's what they do here. And I'm just like, dude, I need a cup of coffee. So I try, but it's, it's been working. I've been um, getting better and decreasing caffeine intake, man. Cause I've been noticing it messes with my sleep. Yeah. It's good. I actually brought that up because I've noticed myself with caffeine, even though I'm not tired, I still make myself a coffee and I still drink it. So what I've been trying to do, recently as well to cut down on my caffeine is to only drink it when I'm feeling tired because I guess I have this habit of I just make the coffee and I drink it no matter what even if I'm tired or not it's just you know two o'clock comes up or one like 1 a.m comes up I'm I have a cup of coffee even though I'm wired still or even though if I'm tired it doesn't really matter I, I still drink it so what I'm noticing myself doing more often now is wait until I'm tired then I'm drinking the coffee because sometimes I don't really need the coffee and I still drink anyway just just kind of like you could say boredom almost. Do you remember when we were in Oakland and every single day we got out of night shift, we just pour a freaking scoop of pre-workout and then go to the gym. And that was like 325 milligrams of caffeine. So just imagine guys, two cups of coffee, two white boys walk into the gym, pumped as hell. And then we had to go to sleep because you work the next day. And it's like, man, you can tell that that those eight hours or six hours of sleep weren't the freaking same, man, because your brain is just still running on this caffeine. Yeah, that, that's very true. But the thing is with Oakland, we had eight hour shifts instead of, instead of 12. So we kind of had more time to rest in between. But I definitely felt the tolerance build up to the caffeine because that pre-workout wasn't hitting me as, as strong as it did in like the first couple of weeks. So you had to rail it up the nose instead, huh? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know about that. Maybe I'll do it sublingually, but I ain't trying to do anything crazy like that. Have you did? Have you ever tried doing uh, pre-workout sublingually? I mean, technically, like putting underneath your tongue? No, I have not. 
Yeah, you should try it. It's definitely a different different experience. I did it, um, I want to say last week. I just put a scoop of pre-workout under, under my tongue and it hits you completely differently than, than, you, than it does when you mix it with water. It's just like, like straight to the dome. Uh-huh. So Peter's experimenting here, I see, with um, substances. That's, I, I, I did that before. I took a whole scoop, put it in my mouth, let it sit there. I don't think I'll try it anytime soon because I have no pre-workout out in Cali and I don't plan on purchasing it for the sake of me trying to cut back on caffeine. Yeah, I feel you. I don't know. I don't always do pre-workout. Usually I take a pre-workout uh, when I get out of work and I go to the gym. But besides that, I don't take it every day that I go to the gym. If I'm feeling tired, then I take it. But for the most part, it's like 50% of the time I probably take it. I'm not kidding myself. Probably a good 75% of the time I take the pre-workout. Okay. If you're, if you're watching on video, you can tell Peter smirked, thought about it, changed his mind here. So do- dopamine fasting, we think it's a thing to try, but it's not scientifically proven. I think it's something that could work out, right? Yeah, 100% agree. Get rid of some of that stimulus and kind of be more in tune with yourself. See what actually, you know, be with, in with your thoughts for the most part. Just like meditate. That's your, that could be your dopamine fast. Eat less junk food, have less sex if that's an issue. If not, continue. Play less video games, gamble less, have a drink less, like abstain yourself, whatever it is. Exactly. Alrighty, so let's get into these um, Reddit questions that we found. The first one is, yes, what so are my options post uh, BSN, correct? Which is the yes. MSN versus PhD uh, route. Yeah, so I actually found like Matt said on Reddit, like the nursing subreddit. And these are like the good questions that, that I found that are kind of interesting to, to answer. But there was one nurse that wanted to go into education. And her question was, should she go to the master's route or a PhD route or, or DNP because she wants to, to be like a, like a professor or, or an instructor. So there's like different types of degrees we could obviously get. And most of these degrees lead to um, a higher status in management for the most part, unless you go like, like the nurse practitioner route, but that's not a really a nurse anymore. You're a nurse practitioner. So like the, the main nursing degree you get is, is your BSN. You know, that's your four years of school. You get that done with and you go get your master's which takes usually another two to four i know this is one girl that i work with she did it in two going going full time so there's not really much difference between like a master's and a, a bachelor's except it just makes you more marketable and it kind of go ahead i was going to say if you want to become like a unit director or if you want to do some management in the hospital usually they're starting to require those um, people to get into and get an msn or right. back to school yeah, that's completely correct. So if you want to be like, you know, like I said, a manager of a unit or like an ACM, system manager, a master's degree, you know, it's probably something you get because you want to have some kind of a higher education compared to like your, your nursing period, which just have the bachelor's. And then you go the DNP route. Um, basically, with the DNP route, you could take two different steps. You could go the administration route or you could go the patient care route. So if you go administration route, that opens up doors to like a nurse researcher, a nursing educator in your in your hospital or your unit, like a chief nursing officer or like a clinical nurse specialist where you're specialized in, in one unit for the most part. And those degrees or that DMP degree takes about three to four years after your, your BSN. So you could bypass the master's and just get your DNP if you really want. Or you can even go the, more of the patient care out of the DNP, which you go to three to four years of school, you get your DNP, and then you also with that, you get your CRNA or you get your APRN or like a nurse midwife. So you kind of get a DMP certification and you also go into like a specialty like CRNA. Yeah, exactly. And those people that are 
or I should say nurses or people in healthcare field that want to step it up and they feel like their growth has stunted in their facility, take those routes. They're definitely there open. I feel like the one that's very oversaturated now is definitely the nurse practitioner, right? Everybody and their mom was going to school to become a nurse practitioner. Yeah, that, that's true. Especially here in like Illinois, it's really competitive. Um, I've heard to, to get in, but a lot of people are doing DM, uh, not DMP, but a nurse practitioner because like they're increasing demands. Like when you go to, what's not least at a hospital. So now I see what's hap was being pushed is like CVS clinics, like these small clinics, Walgreens clinics, where you go, go to see them when you're feeling sick, have a cold, these like, like quick places where you just show up and, you know, they treat you or you set up an appointment instead of going to the hospital or the ER, such so alternative. Cause you want to bring less people to the ER because we don't want somebody to come into the ER with like a cold or, or flu, have them go to the doctor's office. And now we have this other thing. Instead of doctor's office, you don't got to see your MD. You can just see an NP at like CVS or Walgreens. And that's like people that don't have, I mean, not necessarily that they don't have good insurance. It's just something, it's quicker. You just go to Walgreens, you pay like the 50 buck, fill out a copay or 20 out a copay, and you just see a nurse practitioner instead of a, a physician. It's, a, it's also probably more cost effective too for healthcare in general to have, you know, urgent care seeing than the actual facility. Yeah, like well, most said. definitely because- yeah, because a nurse practitioner obviously has to work under a physician and you can have multiple nurse practitioners work under a physician. So now instead of a doctor's office having one physician and him seeing all the patients or a physician and a nurse practitioner, now we're going more of a kind of a corporate route where you have CVS and Walgreens where they employ a physician and you know they employ like three or four or five nurse practitioners that work under him. And it's actually interesting because I went to see a nurse practitioner when I was going to do my my travel nursing um, stuff, I need a booster. So I had to see a nurse practitioner and they actually have like a standard protocol for what symptoms you have. So if you come up with certain symptoms, then they just follow a protocol. Just like in hospitals, we have like protocol, like, you know, somebody comes in, um, let's see, with like a high INR, you have a protocol to anticoagulate them. Or like someone comes in with uh, blood sugar of a thousand, you know, you start on an insulin drip and there's like the insulin protocol. They have like their own protocols for people like people like us that aren't severely sick, like in hospital, but they come with it with certain symptoms and they just treat them with that. They give this medication for these symptoms. They get this antibiotic for, you know, these other symptoms. Yeah. They have like a set, just like you said, protocol. Even I noticed too, cause I have seen a nurse practitioner for the past two years. I haven't seen my doctor. I just go in there. Hey, I want my regular lab test. She just puts it in, you know, we go our separate ways, but they all do these mental screenings on for depression. I've noticed. You like fill out a questionnaire. Do you have depression? Have you been feeling, you know, lonely and things like that? That's something new I noticed uh, within the year that they do. That's true. Do they make you do that questionnaire in the hospitals when you when you admit a patient? Because with our admissions, we got to ask: Have you have you been feeling down lately, or have you have not enjoying the same activities as you used to, or do you think of committing suicide. That's like the standard question that we ask with hospital admissions. I'm not sure how, how your hospital did it, but do, do you have questions like that as well? Yeah, same thing, man. I, everybody gets screened for, you know, the physical abuse, the how are they feeling emotionally, depression, and suicide ideations, of course. Right. Okay, so we'll get back to that topic here. So we know you get the BSN route within the four years. You go MSN, two to four years, makes you more marketable, a little bit more management position. Then your DMP, you go administration route, which gives you opens up doors for clinical specialists or researcher or the patient care route, which is more of a patient hands-on, like specialized, like an APRN or a midwife or a CRNA. But there's also a fourth one where you can get an actual PhD in nursing. And usually when a nurse gets a PhD, this takes about four to six years, which is super long time. I don't know if I want to go to school for that long. 
But personally, if, if you like doing that kind of stuff, that opens up like a place for you as a director of nursing research or a director of clinical services or like a DON of your actual hospital. Yeah, see, I, I love all this school route. I'm just going to kind of ch- change perspective here. Like, for example, I like education. I like helping, right? We're technically podcasting to share good information. Instead of me going to school, I would like to do this like virtually, which what we're doing now. But imagine taking a next step when, for example, virtual reality comes out and everybody's plugged into the you know matrix or whatever. How about we put this virtual headset on and the people that are our followers, we could have a freaking online seminar with them in this you know other dimension in virtual reality instead of going to school to getting the masters. You know how like some people are like trying to sway away from like schooling as well, just to give perspective, not to discourage you from going not going to school. Right. Yeah, that's true. That's true. This question was actually more focused on like a registered nurse. She works in the ER and she just wanted to go be a, like a teacher somewhere, like a professor or like clinical, clinical educator. So if you want to like teach clinicals or teach a certain class at a university or like a community college or any kind of nursing school, I mean, all we really need is like a master's degree. I know certain schools even even um, allow bachelor degrees for, for clinical studies. So all you technically really need is if you want to be a professor or, or a teacher or a nursing instructor, just like a, you know, a master's degree. And of course, a DMP would obviously be more ideal, I'd say, with a PhD, but master's it, it is just fine. Yeah. All right. Next question. So the next Reddit one was on APRN is having trouble handling an RN that is hard to work with. So this is more lateral and um, the nurse is probably a charge or somebody that's above like in a managerial position and she's having difficulty managing a nurse and how do you go about that well so this specifically one um since i mean i i read over these questions in pretty detailed it's actually an aprn it's actually an outpatient facility where they do outpatient procedures and this aprn's issue was this nurse that works under her um, is telling lies to the patients about the nurse's experience saying that the nurse is saying saying that the nurse himself was in the army or or has different kind of clinical backgrounds in which they would they really don't another issue was that this rn was having issues putting in ivs but refused to to get help and the issue is being that this apr is offering this nurse help but he's not accepting it so it's kind of like she's asking for help, like what are her ne- next steps? So if, if you have issue with anybody on the unit, the best thing to do is to talk to them first, like talk to them about it. If these see somebody struggling and don't ask you for help, maybe you should try to like offer help first. Don't just, you know, talk badly about them because that's not going to get nobody anywhere. Yeah, so definitely. Always, go ahead. Definitely face-to-face interaction. Talk, talk it over with them. Maybe once, maybe twice. Doesn't work out. Chain of command. Like don't, don't beat yourself up for it. Don't overstress because of somebody's issue. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. But, you know, definitely, definitely try to offer your help. But then you get to the cases where is this affecting patient care or is this affecting your ability to do your job properly? If, if it is and, you know, they're thick skulled and talking to them is not doing the job, definitely go to management. Like if this person, if this person is doing his job the way that Mike Hart caused harm to the patient, that's something management should know about. And if definitely is if it's hindering your performance, management should definitely know about that as well. And if and if so, yeah, definitely escalate it quicker than it should be. Maybe you don't. Maybe you can't wait. Maybe there's something that's 
really effed up about what this person is doing. I, I don't know exactly of examples for outpatient, but if in the ICU, I'm noticing a nurse is doing some big, you know, F ups or the patients at risk. It has to be brought up to her right away. And then if this is happening, you got to tell management right away, man. Unsafe. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you know, if that nurse ends up getting fired, you know, that's that's their own choosing. It's not your fault or don't blame yourself if, if they get fired. But no, the only way we keep good nurses on is by getting rid of the bad nurses. So like I said, if, if hinders patient care, hinders your job, managers definitely know about it. And, you know, I've, I've seen it in my past um, hospitals as well. There's like some nurses that get hired that have kind of no idea about how to be an ICU nurse. Or you see them and you're just like, whoa, you know, like, I'm not trying to talk shit on the unit, but you know how, like, you know how it goes down. Like everybody's always kind of saying something or making a comment and like, yeah, I think this question is already kind of ranted over guys, raise it up to chain of command. If it has to be and to them. Exactly. All right. So next question is uh, pretty interesting. It says, is it creepy to ask a nurse for their number? So this is a, a, a random person saying the that nurse creepy forms yeah that if it's creepy if he asked his nurse for her number i mean yeah it's like a giant gray area i mean i'm sure patients have asked for the nurse's number and i'm sure she she or he has gave it to them and i'm sure they lived a happy life but me personally it doesn't matter how pretty this patient is or whatever it's it's a huge ethical gray area and i would would, would not do it even if it's like you know like a celebrity, you know, that I have a giant crush on, I, I still would definitely not do it because. What if like, she's a ten, Peter? A, what if she's a ten, Peter? What if well, her hips are the best ones looking you have ever seen, and it just well, makes I guess, her mouth a little bit watery? I guess I'm shit out of luck. I took I took the wrong profession in that case because you know, fuck me, I guess. But I, I definitely wouldn't would not do it. But like I said, I'm sure people have done it before, and I'm sure they live happy lives. But I definitely wouldn't do it. I definitely wouldn't recommend it because. You know, that person could be like, I'm not sure if hospitals do like secret shoppers or, or something. You know how people go to stores and pretend to be a customer, but they're really not. They're really evaluating yeah. somebody. You know, it could be like a, a secret patient or whatever, or, you know, trying to catch you off guard and, and you fall for it and you're kind of kind of screwed. But yeah, I definitely would not do it. It's definitely something taboo and it's definitely probably frowned upon everywhere. And, and if you are going to do it, the way I would do it is I would ask the nurse for an alcohol pad. And you're like, thank you, okay, and then write your number on the alcohol pad. Just give it back to her. I don't know. Yeah, that's actually definitely. You, you're technically as a nurse not supposed to give out your number because that's like there's like ethics involved, right? You shouldn't have a relationship with your patient. So first of all, it's wrongdoing. But if you're a listener that's trying to hit on a nurse that's good looking, I don't advise it. But do you, boo boo? Right, go for it if it if it serves you. I'm not gonna say no to anything here. Yeah, I guess you guess you never know. But if you're asking me for my number, it's probably not gonna happen. Maybe Matt, maybe you might get Matt's number, but sorry, I can't do it, ladies. I mean, it's funny. I've I've always had those grandmas. They're like, "Oh my god, my granddaughter looks so good." Showing me pictures on the flip flip uh, flip phone and all that. It's so funny sometimes, man. Um, I got a guy's number before um, at work, but it was to fix my bumper. It actually happened like last week. Um, before I left to California, I was in such a freaking rush with everything that's been going on and I wasn't mindful. So I kind of on a red light rolled into a car and he owned a body shop. I always have conversations and I, I gave him some prices. He's like, yeah, I'll do it for cheap. I'm like, sure, man. 
end of the shift, I got his number, but that's more for a favor for work. Or I mean, not for work, but for stuff outside of life or stuff outside of work. Okay. Well, last question here. So somebody asked at a Zerzio subreddit, the adequate of leaving a job. So how do you leave a job? You know, it's, if you don't like a job, if you're miserable in it, you should definitely leave it. Like there's so much job opportunity out there for you. But you also want to leave on a good note because you never know when you might be struggling and you might need to come back. So you want to burn any any bridges. So there's like an adequate in there's like a specific way you should definitely leave your job. You shouldn't just say I quit and I walk out and never come back because you never know when you might need help. You never know when you might see manager again at a different different role. So you should definitely you know they've taken care of you at least for some time. You know you should at least reciprocate reciprocate that back. So I, I could definitely vouch and talk about this one. So I actually quit two months ago and I've, I'm very fresh into this. So if you want to leave your work, one thing you have to do is, of course, giving your two weeks notice, do it by via letter of resignation or write an email. That's what I did. I was very thoughtful. I wrote thank you to the man to the manager. This is the director of the ICU. I told her everything about why I'm leaving. When is my last day? Um, I, I didn't give too much detail of what I want to do outside of the hospital because technically at the end of the day, that's for you. You don't have to give explanation of why you're leaving. It's definitely nice, but it's, it's up to you. And if they, if they liked you, like my old facility, they could offer you a job back. Or if you, you know, I'm traveling nurse, so you could come back and you could pick up PRN or you could come back full time. So definitely for the sake of networking and you never know what might happen in your life, always leave on a positive note. And maybe you could get a job back in the future. And the last one, which I didn't do because I was just in a rush, is the exit interview. Some, some facilities offer them. It's usually through HR. They'll reach out to you and you could give some feedback of why you left and why maybe the hospital, what could the hospital improve to keep the nurses. Right. Exactly. So I'll, I'll just break down what Matt said into like, like these little key metrics because Matt did, did say a lot. So when you resign, you want to get your letter of resignation done. So you want to have a statement that you clearly saying that, that you're resigning. They might say you want to give them a two week notice. So in your letter of, res- letter of resignation, write down your last day. So both of you are in agreement of your last day. You also want to have a short explanation of why you're leaving in that letter. Something, something short and to the point. You also want to thank them because they've hired you. They've at least taught you some kind of experience that you're going to build off in the future. You also want to write something positive of your experience. So you're quitting because obviously you're not happy with the job. But I'm sure you've gotten some positive about it. Maybe you made some new friends. Maybe they've, they've taught you a lesson in life. Then you also want to offer like maybe some teaching a new employee. You'll want to offer something to them you know, just for their time for having you on. So you want to maybe ask them if they, that you could orientate somebody for your position. Someone just, just a nice, nice little gesture just like that. And you also, like Matt said, you want to do like an exit interview where you go one-on-one with, with the manager and tell them why you're leaving because you're probably not the only one that has the same thoughts. If you're unhappy with your job, there's probably somebody else that's, that's unhappy. And the only way it's going to get fixed is if you bring it up because nobody wants to bring it up then nothing's ever going to get done. And you never know. You might, you might bring it up and then your manager might throw you back a counter offer that's saying, hey, if we change this and this, would you be willing to stay? And you can be like, yeah, I'll stay for another month, see how it goes. Something like that. Just open up some communication because – maybe they're going to accommodate you in, in some sort of way. But usually when you're on the verge of like quitting, usually you don't want to even think about extending and all that. Cause you just want to get out of here. And it's interesting enough, like the flip side, I wonder if there's a 
etiquette for like firing a nurse or telling her she has to leave? Do you think they take the professional stance sometimes? Because you always hear these like stories that the nurse is getting fired. Like it's just like very quick, like, hey, hop into the office. You're not doing A, B, and C. You're out. Yeah, that's probably exactly how it works. Because remember, this is all also business. So, you know, if someone's getting fired, they're getting fired, fired for a reason. But I'm sure there's some nurses that are good nurses. They just maybe have been performance have maybe they have been having performance issues where you know they're not meeting standards and they have to let let them go or there's of course certain issues where a nurse does something completely unethical and then you gotta fire them but i'm sure the process is very similar to to each way is the like they list you how you're underperforming or what you did and then they let you go because the nurses that i've seen get fired on, on the unit they don't they don't stay an extra you know week or two they just as soon as they get fired they leave and they don't come back they don't do like a two-week fighting process where you know you're getting fired. They just leave. There, there's a travel nurse in where I work right now in Kaiser. Um, she, she started orientation. She worked one week on the unit, and they basically told her that she's not fit for the position, and they just fired her, man. Same day, no Fs given. You have a freaking three-month contract, but you got to go. And like it makes you think because they said that she wasn't like experienced enough. Dude, she's like 50-something. She had plenty of experience. The question is, is, who did she piss off? So that nurse goes up to freaking the manager, basically says, Hey, I can't work with her. And she's out. That's the other caddy side of the drama hospital that happens. But I was so shocked, man. Yeah, man. You drop something wrong the wrong way, especially like in travel nursing where you're almost even more disposable as a travel nurse than you are as a, as a staff nurse. If you think about it. So yeah, you can rub somebody wrong. You can rub somebody wrong and you know, goes up to management. Maybe that nurse has a, got a connection with management and then you're out of there. Yeah. Like she, you know, found the place for three months. She, you know, relocated here and they just say, you got to go. Like, so she's going back to Oregon, for example. I was like, whoa. That's some, that's some shit. All right, guys. Well, I hope you like our episode. Well, thank you for following us, for listening to us. We had 20 K downloads. We're going to wait another few months for another 20 K. Hopefully we'll get that in a short time frame. and just keep listening guys. If you guys like what we do, comment, follow, Five stars, five stars only. And if you have like join the Facebook group, I feel like we should do more of that. We're trying to get more active with the community. If you have any uh, topics or podcast episodes that you guys want us to talk about, definitely do that. And we got a guest coming up shortly. We're just working on them. People take uh, longer to respond, but coming soon, late 2019. Peace out, guys. Have a good day.